1: You're listening to Glenn James and John Pigeon on My Millennial Money Property. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, special guest and I think you're our first ever guest on the My Millennial Money Property podcast. It's Sean Wellman. Hey, Sean, how are you? G'day, Glenn. Welcome, Mitch. Sean. Thank you, John. Sean, just want to say thanks for getting behind us and what we're doing in this space. It's uh, It's been great to have a supporter of the show from the start and from just actually helping a lot of our listeners. Um it's just hard to get out there and find people that you can trust um, when there's so much noise.
2: Correct, a lot of
1: noise, isn't there? A lot of noise, and it's great to have a, a good quality uh, broker in your corner. And we, you know, we do know lots of great brokers in our ecosystem, um, but you know that ecosystem has a very very short list, and um, you're certainly on that on that list. And we really appreciate you helping our listeners and supporting what we're doing with. Educating people to make the right decision.
0: Uh, it's, it's great to be involved with uh, my Millennial Money, and uh, I think anything to do with property and finance and managing your money that's educational is uh, is great benefit uh, to for our clients as well. Yeah, uh, I know who listen to the podcast.
1: Yeah, so thanks for that. So yeah, if you do want to, you know, reach out and have a chat to a quality mortgage broker, you can go to welmanfinance forward slash m three and connect with Sean and you're happy to have a bit of a chat with anyone, aren't you? I don't mind a chat. Yeah. (laughs) What's your your ideal client? Legs and a heartbeat or?
0: (laughs) (laughs) First home buyer, retirees,
1: anything in between. (laughs) Anything in between. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) No, but uh, today what I want to do, I just wanted to, um, you know, I was chatting with John before and we get so many questions about first home buyers and I wanted to do a bit of an update for first home buyers and that's It's actually first property buyers, isn't it? Mm. But we will swing around and talk about a property to live in as a home or an investment property as your first purchase. Now, if you do already own property, just use this episode to encourage you along your property journey and have a think about things that maybe you could have done better or for your next property purchase, what can you do better? Because there's there's always things that we can learn along the way and I think... You know, I know John looks back, and I look back at property purchases, and we think, oh, I shouldn't have done that, or we did that, or so.
2: Yeah, and I think um, there's no right or wrong. It's just understanding what options you've got available. Yeah. And the great Aussie dream's always been buy your own home and live in it and pay it off for the next thirty years, isn't it? So yeah. just understanding that there's other other ways to do it.
1: So, Sean, if I can ask you a, a very direct question, you're a mortgage broker, have been for some time. You've got clients all around Australia. What are you, as a bit of a, I guess, finger on the pulse? what are you seeing with some of the the banks, the lenders? What's the vibe out there at the moment with uh, with mortgages and in the lending space?
0: It's a very good question. It's got a lot easier over the last three to four months. And when I say it got a lot easier, uh, you would have, you know, the listeners out there would have... No no doubt, unless you were living under a rock, known note about the Royal Commission and the inquiry into banking. Um, and during that time, the banks really tightened up. Now, where they tightened up was they weren't lending as much money out. Simply, they were simply applying bigger buffers to people's living expenses and, and their general expenses, which made it very difficult to borrow the amount of money that people were used to in the past. And what we've seen was that the flow on effect into the property market, in, particularly in Melbourne, Sydney, where um, prices became or declined a little bit or became a little bit flat. Now the banks have actually opened up. Now the Royal Commission's sort of becoming a bit of a memory. Uh, they've actually started to uh, increase serviceability, which means it's basically easier to borrow money than it was three to four months ago. That's yeah. been the biggest change. And
1: before the Royal Commission, Even I think it was like APRA tapping the banks on the shoulder basically saying watch out for your investment property lending as well. Absolutely. So before the RC it got pretty tight and then the RC hit and got a little bit tighter Hmm. and I think now from just the I'm not in the mortgage land or in economics but just looking in it appears to me like with the RBA decreasing interest rates I think the RBA is actually trying to outsource a bit of stimulus onto some of the lenders.
0: That's true. So there's no doubt APRA stepped in uh, and made it more difficult for investors because our first home buyers were finding it very difficult over the last two or three years to buy property because they were up against investor clients who were basically having the same interest rates uh, uh, as owner-occupied and then what we saw was that, that it was easier to borrow money if you were buying to, to live in that property because the interest rates were lower and they also, the serviceability or the borrowing capacity was was higher. Um, now what we're seeing is that the the gap between investors and and home interest rates are starting to narrow and that's why we were seeing investors and greater opportunities for invest, investment uh, purchases uh, and particularly our investor clients who are probably pretty dormant uh, over the last couple of years because it was very difficult for those clients are now starting to get back in the market.
2: It amazes me how... The Sydney and Melbourne markets dominate the whole country. Like it's just well, okay. Melbourne's come off the boil, so is Sydney. So let's just stop investing for the next two years until they those markets recover. Um, and if you continue to to listen to the media, that that's what happens, doesn't it? That, so that, as you said, they remain dormant because they've got this fear around. Well, property is declining, not going up, but it's only two markets.
0: That's right, and I've I've heard you, John, speak about you know, the 30 or 40 different markets that that you look at. But uh, unfortunately, the Melbourne city seems to drive the commentary mm. or what we read when there's so many different markets. And even within Melbourne, um, there's so many different markets yeah. within Melbourne. So there's been markets that have been quite buoyant here and others that, you know, have obviously struggled.
1: So just a question, like being a mortgage broker, you'd obviously get a lot of inquiry. Do you coach people through to an extent? Like someone comes to you, and says, oh, I want to buy a property but I can't afford it. Like I feel like I'm in this cycle and actually probably leads to a, a question that I've got for you. So first home buyers and investors, they can get some anxiety around buying their first property. What do you think causes this anxiety and, you know, how can we help alleviate some of that anxiety or concerns?
0: Well, there's two things I, I think that create anxiety for our first home buyers. The first, the first one is just the simple number in terms of what they're borrowing. So, a lot of our first home buyer clients, the biggest debt they've ever had might be a two thousand dollar credit card, and then suddenly they're thinking, "I'm going to have a five hundred thousand dollar loan, either alone or with my partner," and that can be pretty scary and daunting. Particularly, and it's a transaction. Buying a house is a transaction. It's not like going around and grabbing a loaf of bread. Or some milk. You're doing it. You're not doing it uh, every day of the week. Or no. if you are, you're doing doing something doing well, <laughs> doing very very well. But um, and the other and the second factor is how is it going to impact my lifestyle? So people want to get ahead, obviously buy buy a property to live in or an investment property um, because they want to look after themselves and their families and, and put some of their income to something that's going to grow in value. But they also don't want to, they still want to be able to go on that holiday. They still want to be able to do the things that they want to do. So most of our time is spent, you know, I turn turn into Mr. Squiggle with a whiteboard marker and just putting it up there so people actually understand the numbers and and once they actually understand the process and the numbers, then the fears start to alleviate but also they can go away and then make an informed decision rather than going away and and really sort of shooting in the dark.
1: Yeah, and I guess I sound like a freaking broken record but, Almost every podcast, you know, I always like fear false evidence appearing real. Mm. So for me in my financial life, if I do have fear or anxiety about a subject, I just need to collect some information and just understand how it works.
0: I couldn't agree more. that The knowledge is is power really. Once you actually put it down and people understand it, then as I said before, the fears that do go away. Um, and, and it doesn't just help them. Uh, with buying a first home, it actually creates some, some information around their other uh, – it drives into other areas of their life in, in terms of in budgeting, um, you know, their superannuation, whatever it is. Having an – it's a good good grounding, in buying a first home for other, for other areas of people's finances.
1: Yeah. And I guess back to my other kind of – in my preamble to that question, like the coaching and helping people understand, like I want to buy a property – Not sure if we want to live in it or do an investment property. In fact, I'll just go straight to it. Peter wrote into the podcast and said, I'm in my early 30s, recently married and renting in the eastern suburbs uh, in Sydney. The next step for us seems impossible, buying a house in Sydney. Do we A, continue to rent forever and invest our mortgage money elsewhere or B, suck it up? And I don't know by suck it up means just keep saving and (laughs) and then getting a deposit but obviously you're melbourne based but having clients all around australia like yeah sure if you've got a client in dubbo or ballarat it might be there you go buy a house and happy happily ever after like your capital city i guess people here in melbourne how are you coaching someone like peter well
0: there's so many ways you can actually enter the market now so firstly you can buy as an as a, an investor um, you can buy something to live in but you also can purchase with family members uh, so what we're seeing is we've i've had three brothers that have rather than buy three separate properties they've said well we're actually going to buy something to live in uh, a three bedroom in a decent area and actually pull our money and our income and our deposits together mm. and then that and they all lived in it Well, they did. I think they're still living in it, actually. Brothers are pretty close. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe there's a granny flat out the back. Maybe it's a (laughs) two-in-one setup. Um, Or they're purchasing with one of their parents, or they might be uh, getting a family gift from their parents if they're lucky enough, or using guarantors, or using some of their parents' house as security. So what I would say is, what's your position? What are you looking to do? And then work at Mm. providing some different lending solutions yeah. that may actually help them get into the market or they might, you know, we have clients here that can't afford to purchase in in the, around the CBD but they might go and buy a property in Geelong or yeah. something like that and they'll use that and some capital growth over a period of time to have a goal to, to purchase, you know, closer to the CBD in the future.
2: And it's the old uh, argument of, well, can I get into the market now or do I – wait another five years to save my deposit if I can get in the market today with my brother or as the example you gave um, I'd be inclined to get in the market now as opposed to another five years when the market could have um, grown quite considerably and you're chasing your tail
0: yeah that, that's right and the main the main cost from a lending point of view that people are trying to minimize is lenders mortgage insurance so mm-hmm. when you've got less than a 20% deposit you have to pay lenders mortgage insurance um, now Like you just mentioned, John, to sit back and save another ten percent and for three or four years time that that market may have moved considerably, might have moved seven, eight, nine, ten, twenty percent. So I think it's just understanding what the costs are involved and then when the when the time's right
1: to actually hit the button and purchase. You touched on an interesting thing, Sean, because there is this misconception out there that the magical number for a deposit is twenty percent of the purchase price. Like is that a big concern when you're talking with uh, new clients or first property purchasers that, oh, we don't have 20%. Like is that something that comes up much for you? Yeah,
0: it does. It it does come up. Um, But what we're finding is that first home buyers are actually happy to pay some lenders mortgage insurance Uh, but what we try and do is – uh, devise ways to minimize it. So sometimes by putting an extra three or four thousand dollars into the property, you can save four or five thousand dollars in lenders mortgage insurance because mm-hmm. it works in tiers. So it's finding that sweet spot.
1: And can you do those number crunching for clients or do banks have to do that? Like No, we can do
0: it. Um and all what's important that all banks charge different lenders' mortgage insurance. So some are cheaper than others. So it's not just wow. about interest rate. Yeah. It's also about total costs and what's going to save you the most money. So it's just understanding what the costs are involved and then making a the decision that, I'm okay, I'm happy to enter the market there. I'm, I've minimized the lenders' mortgage insurance. I don't want to sit out of the market for another three or four mm. years uh, and pay rent.
1: I want to actually buy something to live in. Yeah, and it's interesting like Peter says in her question, like do we put our mortgage money you know, somewhere else. Well, she and her partner, they've got to pay rent. So it's not this magical, we've got an extra five grand a month that's going to go into another property. I would always encourage people, if you are, you know, chatting with Sean, for example, getting some preliminary figures on if we do rent vesting, like go to your accountant, spend a couple hundred dollars, get the accountant to do a a tax wash up scenario. Like, on the assumption that we're borrowing five hundred thousand dollars in a regional centre, we're going to assume we're going to have these deductions. We're going to assume our income's this. We're going to assume that we buy it joint, or we're assume we're buying it in the higher income earners' property. I reckon that two hundred dollars with an accountant to look at the the net wash up over twelve months. That's going to knock a whole heap of fear out of the water. Because remember, like. You know, I've sent a lot of clients to John and friends to John and they've got the house, they've got equity, but they don't think they can afford to buy the next property and invest. So it's it's a matter of, yes, this podcast episode it might be about first home buyers, but what if you're a you've owned your principal place of residence and you're a first investment property buyer?
2: And I think that's a where the emotion kicks in and the great Aussie dream I spoke about before. That let's Buy our own home to live in because that's what everyone does. Uh, I think the when when I talk to clients about well, wh- which one's safer if I leave my job, I lose my job, the the place I live in or the place that's the uh, the tenant's paying off for me or covering the interest costs. So it's actually safer to have an investment property in that example, right? But people look at it in reverse. Can I emotionally. challenge you? Oh, Challenged emotionally. Me. Emotionally, we're saying, well, I'm more comfortable to live in my own home. Yeah,
1: yeah. Mm. Challenge right. me though. Yeah, well, it just. On that, like if you are renting, you've got to come up with rent as well. You do. But I guess that's why we don't do anything without our emergency funds in place Mm. and actually have a freaking strategy in our life before we go and buy the suburb that the newspapers talking about today, Mm. which they're three years late. Like we saw an article today Mm. about a a hotspot, okay, Uh, increasing 20% in the next couple of years. Like a good strategy. Pidge was talking about in that location three years ago.
0: Well, it's and it's a it's a good point. The what we look at is out of pocket expense. Mm. And to put if I buy it as an investment on the left hand side and if I buy it to live in, what is it costing me? And that what that takes into account the fact that if you're gonna be renting a property, you're gonna have income, but you're also gonna have a rental expense. Um, if you're not, you're going to have no rental income but you're not going to have a rental expense if you're living in that property and actually compare the two and have mm. a look at what actually suits you from a, a total cost Yeah, yeah. and
1: and uh, a, a long-term benefit. And you'd probably see it a little bit or both of you would. We hear stories of people going, oh, we've got this investment property and we love it because we get a $10,000 tax return every year. It's like, mm. no, you should be talking to your accountant to get them to, to a – a variation form to give to your employer to cash flow that through the year so you're not living on fricking mm, mac and that, cheese throughout yeah. the year and that, waiting for these windfalls. As long
2: as they're not spending that money as you go.
1: Exactly. But mm. in terms of the fear to get into your first investment property, yeah. those little strategies like cash flow, yeah. they can actually help with that fear of we're not going to be able to afford it because mm. no, no, it's tax advantageous perhaps and we need to – factor that in with our decision-making.
2: So getting back to the um, APRA and the Royal Commission, all those sort of things, just recently the banks altered their assessment rate, didn't they?
0: Yeah, they did. So if you were borrowing, let's say, $500,000, even though the interest rates are in the 3% at the moment, the bank would apply the fact that a safety mechanism, if you like, where they would apply an assessment rate of seven and a half, sometimes eight percent some lenders, yeah. which was four, four, four and a half percent actually more than what the interest That's rate buff. was. Yeah. And that would kill people's serviceability or ability to borrow any money. They've actually lowered that by about two percent. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's a it's a huge so on average, what we're finding is, and obviously every 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 person's situation is different in terms of their income and expenses, mm. but generally, what it's done is it's opened up your, your borrowing capacity by about 15 to 20 percent. Right. So, if you could borrow four hundred thousand dollars before, it's probably a little more likely to be around four eighty thousand, five hundred thousand dollars. It's
2: amazing, isn't it? So, so yeah, yep. I was just going to say, so if you're listening, saying, Well, 12 months ago, I could buy something for three hundred thousand, and you still haven't because you thought you couldn't get into the market, it's time to. Contact Wally and get an assessment done. It's a
1: good time to revisit it. Yeah. Absolutely. But it's funny, you know, like I'm just sitting here thinking like if you're a someone who's renting, you've got a good income, you don't have any personal loans or consumer debt or you've got your cash flow humming along and you're you're encouraged, you listen to either this podcast or money podcast and you're intentional with your money and with your life and you've stable career or you've got a good small business. Mm. Is there a better time to be freaking alive in terms of opportunity right now?
2: No. Well, I've been saying this for the last two or three years. I said it in our Brisbane podcast. Like, we'll look back on these times in five, six years' time when interest rates have maybe a little bit higher and think, gee, I should have taken more action.
0: Couldn't agree more. The biggest people that have been affected are those people who have already got existing debts. So, in terms of actually having a clean slate, like you're talking about, Glenn, mm. with you know good income, good savings, and not too many expenses or minimal expenses, a- it's a great it's a great opportunity to at least have a look at your options mm. because you'd be surprised. And we people are actually staggered by when they actually look at the numbers and what they can mm. borrow. Now, we're we're generally conservative by nature, so we'll come off that. But yeah. in terms of the options that it can open up. Uh, there's never been a better time, uh, and and also the competition between banks and lenders um, to have yeah. first home buy business has never been greater. So say. in terms of the interest rates and some of the products that are on offer for first home buyers, are superior to any other products on the
1: market at the moment. Mm. What would you say is a good? So someone calls you, um, you know, you educate them, give them some information, and they want to pull the trigger. And I would probably say if you're out there and you're listening, do a clarity call with John. He'll do a call with you. You can email via the website. Get a bit of strategy, get a bit of mindset happening. John sends them over to you, well, you, you know, they pull the trigger on a property deal. What's the turnaround time at the moment once you submit an application to a lender until we get some type of response? Because I know a couple of years ago when I was – getting my first home it was like freaking two weeks for one lender and like what depends on the broker well (laughs) absolutely three hours yeah Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) well it it depends it actually depends on the bank really and how and like uh and i won't mention any bank or lenders names but there's some banks you'll get a 24-hour turnaround um and there's some banks that the service levels can blow out to, a th- out to up to three weeks, mm. depending on that on that lender. But I would say, on average, um, once it's submitted, I'd allow for uh, seven days for yeah. approval, yeah. Uh, and that's that's pretty pretty safe once you've got all the information.
2: I think that's important note there for for the listeners because we always hear the story where oh, I got approval in twenty four hours, uh, but my bank or my broker's taken seven days my broker must be no good well no it's the lender has uh
1: has has different back end issues and it's also like you will sit down with someone they might be a small business person for example they might not have some up-to-date financials but you being a you know good mortgage broker you know the lay of the land you can go look categorically i know we can get you finance over the line with this lender here because they only need some bass returns or GST stuff, whatever. However, they're running a ten day wait, but I know it's most appropriate for you. Like, mm. sure, we can go over here. I get you one day turnaround, but you've probably got about a fifty percent strike rate, and I don't. Yeah, know. I just, perhaps, I guess, no, I it's it's, it's 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 managing
0: I'm people's expectations, managing yep.
1: emotion, yeah, expectations, yeah, and also letting the broker do their freaking job mm. and show you the options mm. and say, look, I think this is most appropriate. What do you think?
2: And it goes without saying but I still get it today where people say, well, I've gone back to NAB, for example, and that's all they can lend me. Well, they've chosen one lender out of a possible 45 um, and and basically their assessment is around that one lender I mean, only.
0: Well, that, well, well, I mean, and to be fair to the NAB, if you walk into NAB, they can only show you what their products, products are. That's so, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where... Um, 15, 20 years ago, I mean, the amount of people that went to the the so-called big four, mm. um, now people are actually opening up their eyes to saying, well, there's a lot more options. And at the bottom line is, how am I going to save, get the loan that I want and save the most money? Um,
2: and would you say
0: someone's assessment based on
2: serviceability and, and buying power can be As great a difference
0: as a hundred grand, hundred and fifty thousand. Between between
1: lenders, absolutely. So And also between um, experienced mortgage brokers.
0: Yeah, it's finding it's finding where where it best sits Mm. in terms of so for example, I would say out of our panel of lenders, um, it can vary up to 15 to 20% as well oh, yeah. in terms of – so some assessment rates even now will still be at 65 or 6.9%. Yeah. Some will assess at 5.5%
1: and that makes a big difference. Yeah, I, massive. I'm just like every time I talk with a mortgage broker, I'm just so pro-mortgage broker. Like there's no way on the planet you would go direct to a lender. Because if you think of interest rate, mm. if you place the mortgage with bank A or bank C, the interest rate you pay either going via a mortgage broker or going straight to the bank is the same.
0: That's right. And that's that's probably the, the misconception and one of the things that we spend a lot of time with clients when we first sit down with them is that um, we get paid by the bank or get paid mm-hmm. by the lender and we work for the client. Yeah. So there's no, a good mortgage broker, there's no interest in putting uh, a loan to ANZ as opposed to ING or Macquarie Bank. It's about what's your personal situation? Mm. These are the best three or four lenders or the right three or four lenders for your, for your situation and we'll sit down and talk about the pros and cons and make a decision together.
1: Mm. And I guess if you are wondering about, you know, can I have a Chad and it's complimentary, a mortgage broker, it's almost like, your business model is almost like a socialist model. Like one deal might take half an hour, it might be the easiest deal in the world, you get remunerated, the client's happy. The next deal, it could be a pain in the ass, could be multiple things going on and could take you a long time, client's happy you get paid, so it's almost like swings and roundabouts that well, business the, model.
0: The, 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 and I, I think you'd it, be this similar, uh, John and Glenn. Is the most rewarding thing in our business is getting a first home buyer or an investor client who hasn't purchased a property before. And in the in in the in the finance industry or whatever industry, we've all got our own different languages. Mm. Yes, like it's like I'm speaking Japanese mm. so to, to, to people at the start, but it's actually sitting down. And there's no silly questions and actually when they walk away to say, actually, I understand this now. I oh, get that's the it. the outcome, and, it? Then, yeah. and then having clients come back three or four years later to yeah. buy another property and they're telling you what they want and how much yeah. equity they've got and what they're thinking <laughs> yeah, amazing. and they're coming job. up with the answers, Yeah. That's, um, that's great reward for us to say that we've actually done the job right three or four years ago at the start mm-hmm. with our education.
2: Yeah, for sure. Mm,
0: good stuff.
1: I, I just think. want to finish on the fixed versus variable discussion and it's been going on since the dawn of time. Mm. Broadly speaking, how would you explain this to one of your first property buyers?
0: So the difference, we talk about the difference between fixed rates and variable rates. Now fixed rates are basically exactly how they sound, they're fixed. So if the interest rates or the reserve bank increase the, the cash rate or decrease it, if you've got a fixed rate, it won't change. So you can lock in a fixed rate for at the moment. There's some offerings at two, three years for two point nine eight percent. So it's got mm-hmm. a two in front of it. A variable rate loan can increase or decrease with the um, with what the interest rates are doing or the Reserve Bank uh, Reserve Bank predominantly are doing. So. The fixed rate's also fix in the fact that you can't make additional repayments. So if you're on a large income and you want to see your loan disappear or reduce that loan quickly, mm. then uh, you can't do that with a fixed, fixed loan, a variable loan you can make. You've got some more flexibility. If you break a fixed loan, so if you sold a property or you refinanced it, there's some break costs with a fixed loan. Mm. You can also, and a lot, of, a lot of people don't realize, is you can have the best of both worlds. You can fix the portion of your loan and you can also have some variables. So if you want to say, well, I, don't, I want to protect myself against interest rates rising, I want to lock some away, um, but I also want to have a portion where I can offset it and make some additional repayments. You've got that flexibility. Now, it de- it's depending on your situation. So for example, if someone's earning good income, they probably say, I want a variable loan and I want to make extra repayments, but mm-hmm. then there's others that, you know, they might have have a family And one of them might be stopping work for 12 months and they want to know for budgeting purposes that this is what their repayments are going to be for the next two or three years. So it's really about saying, well, what are your goals? What's your life circumstances, short and medium term? And then having that discussion. Mm. So can I uh,
2: offset any of my funds against my fixed loan?
0: generally no but there are some products there are a few banks where they have have a fixed rate loan that you can offset but generally no generally a, a variable rate is a better loan to, to offset and, and have redraw and offset basically means if you've parked some money in the same bank account and your yep. normal check account you get paid into that that's offsetting the interest on your on your home loan yeah um, generally speaking we would do a lot more variable loans than mm. fixed loans and most of the fixed loans we do will always have a variable split to give the, the our clients some flexibility to make those extra repayments or offset their uh, portion yeah. of their home and that, loan.
1: And that's a good mm. one going to strategy as a broker but it's weird like any economic update or any economist that I've ever heard, I've never heard one of them say you do a fixed rate mortgage now because you can't beat the bank
2: mm.
1: and it goes back to what you said, Sean, was – you are only doing it in your personal situation if you want some short-term certainty and that could be up to five years generally. But on that, I think in this environment of low, low interest rates, my gut feel is because there are some banging fixed rates at the moment, it's got to be a retention strategy for the bank.
0: Well, they're throwing the carrot out there, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, absolutely. They're, like, a, they're, they're enticing, they say, we want to lock you in for five years. Yeah, it's um, got to be
1: a retention plan. And,
0: and again, we'll... we'll We'll have a look at have a look at that it's the questions that we get asked in now is oh, what are interest rates going to do mm. <laughs> yeah jeez I'd love to know that answer. Yeah, that's but, right. but the reserve Bank in Australia is very um, dissimilar to other other reserves in in the world is that they're very transparent when they make their announcements yeah. about really what they're going to do over the next one if you actually read the commentary underneath you sort of get a bit of a feel that and at the moment, There's downward pressure on interest rates.
2: Yeah, but when you look at um, history, you would say that at this moment in time, it's one of the lowest interest rates you get. So if you did fix your rates for a two or three year period and it had a two in it, it's not going to be a train wreck, is it?
1: No, I don't believe so, no. But on that, I was just about to say like we are talking on this episode about first property buyers, be it a home yeah. or investment property. I mean that whole emotional piece, when I bought my first property, it was a $500,000 mortgage, four hundred grand fixed, $100,000 variable and I did that because the stage I was at with business and I needed mm, that certainty. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Sleep at night. But if it is your first property and you just want to put your toe in the water, Mm. yeah, talk to Welly, go, well, let's do 50-50. Let's Mm. hedge. Let's do 100. Just be educated, Mm. be informed, and do what your gut says after you've got the information.
2: Yeah, and that's the key, isn't it? Knowing that you've taken control of that because you understand both options, not just go with the
1: crowd. And don't do it because Welly says to do it. Let... Sean, educate you enough to make your own decision.
0: Yeah, and that's 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 our that's our role. We're we're facilitators. Give you the information, yeah, and then because everyone's different Mm. and everyone's got a different risk appetite, everyone's got a different life circumstance. So go away, and we'll we'll never we'll generally give the information, and say go away and have a think about it, Mm. and come back, and and then. but people will have that light bulb moment. Actually, this is what we want to do, yeah. and this is the reasons why we and want
1: to do it. Realistically, like there are a lot of mortgage brokers and small business people that listen to this show. Right? If I could talk to the mortgage brokers, don't worry about selling freaking mortgages. Worry about educating people. Worry about providing value. You you educate people enough to make their own decision. You won't have to sell a mortgage in your no, life. Value and trust, isn't it? That's that, and that's yeah. and that's that's our role.
0: Yeah. That's that's the role we play um, to facilitate, educate um, and make people actually make good decisions.
1: Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people write in and they wanted uh, recommendations for, you know, financial advisors and mortgage brokers. We would never send you to someone, we would never have freaking Sean on this podcast and helping us if we thought he was a salesman. No. Like we only want to do education and empower people. So. Mm. All right, we might leave good. it there, but um, Sean, again, thanks, thanks Sean. so much for um, supporting the show and helping out so many of our listeners with getting their first, second, and third mortgages. And uh, we've only heard good feedback so far. So, mm. thanks for these beautiful views over the city, the, and the skyline. Shiny. Yeah, we're looking over Melbourne Vegas. <laughs>
0: Sorry about the weather. <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> yeah, that's you... what
2: you sign up for when you come to Melbourne, isn't it? <laughs> exactly.
1: All right, we will see you All soon. Right, thanks. Bye bye. Thank